0: Welcome to Odds Bodkin's Curiosity Shop, where you'll find the unique, the bizarre, and sometimes the haunted. Feel free to look around, peruse the items, and never fear. There's nothing here that bites hard anyway. <laughs> well, hello there. I'm pleased to see you return once again to Odds Bodkin's Curiosity Shop. You may have just passed him on the street, but our friend the Creep stopped by with another crate full of goodies because he has a new season out, season three of his show on Shudder. So let's pull out the mutoscope and take a look at season three of Creep Show. Now season three of Creepshow premiered on September 23rd and Greg Nicotero and the gang are back with six more Tales of Terror done in that kind of EC comic style uh, that I, I just love. I loved about the original Creepshow movie and I loved how much they tied that all in with the previous seasons and it just makes for some fun horror. Uh, this really is a series that kind of plays off the love that people have for like B horror movies, uh, from back in the day. And some of these stories, uh, that we've seen on Creepshow in seasons past have been quite horrific. And season three has been no different because they really, uh, there were some, some really great episodes, some not so great episodes, but, but they had some really good ones. And, uh, some of the writing uh, in this season was was really spectacular. Some of the ideas that they had were really spectacular. And I was so excited about the first episode of Creepshow Season 3 because they were going to do a episode with the story by Joe Hill called Mums. Of course, Joe Hill, Stephen King's son, Greg Nicotero, and David J. Shao did the screenplay. Uh, Rusty Cundeef did the directing for this, and it's such a, a really good story. It's about this kid, Jack, and his you know, recovering alcoholic mom called Bloom. They love gardening. They kind of share this love of gardening, and they're planning a, a trip to Jack's grandma's house, or Mima as they call her in this. But it's actually to get away from Jack's, uh, you know, kind of this militia-obsessed, secessionist father, Hank, played by Ethan Embry. He finds out that uh, Bloom is taking Jack away and ends up killing her. They bring her home, and him and his brother bury Bloom in the garden that her and Jack has planted. We find out Hank's been having an affair with this, uh, this girl, Beth who watches Jack and she kind of plays the sympathetic, uh, friend to Jack. And until he finds out that she has been, uh, cheating, uh, with his father on, on his mother, they tell Jack that his mom has been put into rehab, but then he finds out as he's been, uh, digging in the garden, uh, that they buried her there. And he finds this pack of seeds that his mother had stored away. So he plants them in the garden. And that's kind of where he accidentally finds her. uh, Accidentally cuts his hand on a thorn and bleeds into the soil. And the next day he discovers these strange flowers have bloomed. But they seem to have hair in amongst the petals. And, and the, the pistols are, are shaped like skulls. And then this plant eats one of the pigs as it gets tangled up in its vine. Once he kind of sees where the vine comes from, it's revealed that it is Bloom. has kind of turned into this deadly flower mutant zombie hybrid creature. And that gives Jack the vehicle to take revenge on his father and his, his girlfriend, and he ends up feeding the, <laughs> these characters to the, to the plant creature, the bloom plant creature. And then we kind of see this end as Jack is driving off. And he's got this plant uh, repotted in the back seat. And he's taking uh, some of this mutated flowers with him to his mima's house. Uh, it was just such a, a really good story, good acting, uh, Ethan Embry. Uh, I didn't even recognize it It was him at first. I knew uh, from reading about the upcoming season that he was going to be in it and he was going to be in this story, but it didn't look like him at first until I I was like, that voice sounds familiar. And then I started looking at him and I was like, oh my God, that's Ethan Embry. Uh, did a fantastic job and a, a really fun macabre story. Uh, it's It's got some, it's got sadness to it because this kid loses his mother. And his dad is horrible to him. Treat you know He's very verbally abusive. And, and it's a situation where maybe even physically abusive. We don't get to see that, but that's kind of implied as well. And to see the bad guys get their comeuppance, that's always fun to see in, in horror. Uh, especially this type of uh, anthology horror. The second episode, or the second story in this first episode was Queen Bee. I wasn't a big fan of this. Uh, Greg Nicotero directed it. It wasn't a problem with the direction. Uh, It was just not a well-written story. Uh, These kids are a huge fan of this pop singer. Uh, The one kid's mother works at a hospital, and the pop singer happens to be at the hospital delivering a baby, and it's all secret. And they go there, and they find these kind of people under the spell of some sort. Their eyes are glowing green. And they find out this, this pop star that they all worship is some sort of creature. It uses some sort of hypnosis to control people, kind of like worker bees. Kids all get captured and are put under the spell and are essentially used as food for the new babies, uh, the new children of this creature that is the pop star. Uh, Regina, I think, is the pop star's name. And it's a good enough story. It's just the way it was written and the fact that they were using teenagers uh, being fans of a pop singer just felt like a Goosebumps episode. And I, I really wasn't into that. That was a bit after my time. And I, I just it wasn't one of my favorite episodes. It wasn't a bad episode uh, because the ending really made it worthwhile where these kids are being fed to these uh large carnivorous grubs this larva that has come out of this this creature this bug-like creature that the pop singer uh, turns out to be that was pretty horrific but everything up to that with the people in the trance the glowing eyes uh the dialogue it just like i said it really came off crossed as as like a goosebumps episode uh, that I didn't really care for. So that was the first episode. Episode 2, Skeletons in the Closet, was a was a story I really liked. Because it had so many tie-ins to uh, so many other horror movies. It's about this guy and this girl that kind of run this prop shop. Where they sell movie props from various horror movies. And it really is kind of a love letter to a lot of these uh, horror movies of the past. Uh, This guy, his father, was a collector and passed the love of collecting horror memorabilia down to his son. He finds out that uh, another collector wants a piece that he has. Uh, The uh, collector's name is Bateman. He's played by James Remar. And he comes and it's just... uh, It's a a crazy ride of love, betrayal. Uh, There is a skeleton fight scene that is akin to something you might see from Ray Harryhausen, Jason and the Argonauts, or Clash of the Titans, the the original Clash of the Titans. Uh, It's just a fun story that kind of has a twisted happy ending. And like I said, there's so many ties to so many other Classic horror movies. That this was really uh, a fun episode. Like I said, uh, I don't think I said uh, John Esposito wrote it. Uh, he always writes good episodes for Creep Show. Him as well as John Harrison. I always like their episodes. Uh, Greg Nicotero directed it, and it was just a like I said a fun part of this episode. No real big stars, like I said, other than James Remar. And uh, if you love odes to to horror. This I don't. I don't want to give too much away out of this, but uh, it, it is really uh, a fun, not not creepy. The horror is there to some degree, but it's all kind of tongue in cheek and done very in a very fun manner. Uh, the second story in this episode was familiar, which that one was a little, little more bizarre, a little creepier. Uh, a guy Jackson, he's a lawyer. His girlfriend, she's a sculptor. They go to see this fortune teller. And this fortune teller named Boone says that something bad followed you in here. And he tells him that uh, there's this, uh, essentially, this familiar that's following him. It's a creature of darkness, and and may kill him. Boone gives him for a nominal fee a familiar trap, and the guy ends up trapping something, but he hears his girlfriend inside. Uh, he was tricked thinking that it was a dog the night before that got trapped and he let it go. The familiar is gone. So this time uh, thinking that the familiar is trying to uh, trick him, uh, he throws this crate with what he thinks is the familiar imitating his girlfriend into the river or lake or, or what have you. Some body of water. to find out he gets home. He finds the familiar waiting for him. With a waterlogged corpse of his girlfriend, uh, revealing that he had swapped places with the real girlfriend, the familiar possesses the the corpse and then goes to do in uh, Jackson. It was not a great episode, um, or not a great story, I should say, uh, but it was it was good enough. It, it felt very much like a creep show episode. It, it kind of almost had a Tales from the Crypty feel to it. Um, Coming up on number three, episode three of season three, one story I didn't really care for another story I did like um, for for various reasons. Uh, The first story in this episode is The Last Subaraya. It's about this woman. She works for a museum, wants to buy this piece of artwork from Ishido Tsuburaya. It's this Japanese artist who is known for cruelty upon humanity and depicted that in these gruesome paintings. Well, there's this painting that has been found. It's crated up. It's never been opened. It could be something horrific or it could be a dandelion he painted. Uh, nobody knows, but it's a missing piece of his artwork. This woman from the museum wants to buy it for the museum to put it on display. This rich guy comes in and wants to buy it because he just lets to be able to buy whatever he wants and inflict pain on people who, who actually love it. And and he ends up burning this painting. He's going to do this unveiling. Uh, he's the only one that has seen it as he opens it up and then he lights it on fire. So he is the only person who has ever seen this painting. And he tries to describe it. Uh, his assistant slash girlfriend a bit of an artist. She tries to recreate it from the way he described it. And essentially, this demon that is in the picture comes to life and starts attacking the guy. It gets a little hokey. There's like a samurai sword fight scene. It just, I I didn't like it. The special effects weren't some of the best that uh, we've seen on Creep Show, so I wasn't a big fan of this one. Maybe, Maybe you'll disagree with me on it, but the second story in episode three was Okay, I'll Bite. Now, this was quite interesting. It all takes place in a prison. Elmer Strick is this pharmacist who's doing jail time because he euthanized his terminally ill mother. Uh, he's kind of one of these quiet types that kind of gets bullied by some of the other inmates in prison. He's smart, so they've got him trying to help them make uh, drugs somewhere. And he's been allowed to keep these spiders in his jail cell, big tarantulas, in jars he also has a, a brick that he can move out of his wall I, I how this is even allowed I, I don't know but this uh, cinder block that he can move out and he keeps talking to something inside the hole in the wall there's just there's something that leads you to believe it's probably a, a, an even bigger spider that is there somehow. Elmer has to deal with these inmates that are giving him hassle the wardens giving him hassle there is a another guard that's actually a bit more sympathetic to him a guard named willis elmer finally gets this letter that kind of uh praising him for his practices and on a a parchment scroll uh there's this incantation he discovers that uh the incantation is this this ritual uh involving this giant spider and he believes that the spider in his wall is that uh that giant that spider uh from egyptian lore he ends up performing this ritual detailed on the scroll uh the the spiders get out and they they surround him and then this giant spider comes out of the wall and sinks its fangs into his face well later the inmates that are hassling come in and elmer who is transformed into this giant spider himself it's the bad inmates, and then they find him the next day. Uh, Willis and the uh, the warden approach Elmer's empty cell, and they discover the uh, the one inmate's corpse uh, suspended in a giant web and sucked dry. And it was just uh, a a very very creep show esque story. It was a fun story. Uh, it did have a lot of elements of horror. Like I said, it was it was horror in a fun way because. Uh, you knew what was going to happen but and and you really hated to see it uh, i find spiders quite creepy and it was everything that uh <laughs> that, that creeps me out about spiders and more and i think it and that was the kind of the horror that i enjoyed about it it was uh a little a little hokey at times but like i said a lot of these episodes of creep show really play into the uh, the hokiness that we all enjoyed in some of those B-movies. And I think probably one of the reasons I like this is Josh Harris, or actually John Harrison, uh, wrote and directed this episode. And I always enjoy a lot of the the things he writes and directs uh, for Creep Show. Episode number four, Stranger Sings, was the first story in it uh, about this odd couple, this odd guy and this odd woman. They meet at a coffee shop. Both have uh, had a hard time in love and uh, the guy is a gynecologist the girl brings him back to her place and he comes in and finds out there's somebody else living in this apartment and it is a siren centuries-old siren named miranda it's uh, the girl sarah's roommate and they want him to perform a surgery where he takes out her voice box and puts it in Sarah. And if he doesn't, she's gonna kill him he tries to explain that he's a gynecologist. He doesn't do that kind of surgery, but they're like, you you know, you got to at least try. And he, he does it. The whole logistics of the voice box, not even being an actual box. Uh, that aside, uh, <laughs> the fact that he's a gynecologist and they're having him perform surgery, I don't know what service that provided, but he does the surgery and they heal quite fast. Uh, he takes the Uh, voice box out of Miranda the siren puts it in Sarah because she wants to be a siren. She wants to live forever. She wants to be able to control men. And Miranda can no longer sing her siren song. Sarah can. She's going to devour Barry anyway. And all of a sudden we see Miranda kill her because she didn't want that life. That's why she wanted the siren's voice box taken out of her and she didn't want to see sarah going on and doing what she did and killing men and that sort of thing and then her and barry uh decide to go out on a date it was goofy and it was quirky and it was fun there wasn't much horror to it by any stretch of the imagination and it was one of the rare creep show episodes where it kind of had a happy ending so that made it a little different than some of the other creep show episodes. It wasn't a horrible episode. Uh, it wasn't the best. But the next story in this episode was really good. It's written by John Esposito, directed by Joe Lynch, and it's called Meter Reader. And the, the story kind of parallels the COVID-19 pandemic. Uh, the world falls victim to this plague, and this plague allows people to become demonically possessed and it kind of feels like a dystopian future meter readers they're a group of people that are immune to this plague and they kind of travel around detecting whether people are infected with a demon and then if they are they dispatch them by decapitating them and they kind of have these bring out your dead moments where uh, these garbage trucks drive by and everybody's supposed to bring out their decapitated heads of the, uh, the person that was contaminated and possessed by the demon. We follow this one meter reader, Dalton, Jonathan Sheck, Uh You may remember him. He played Jimmy on That Thing You Do, the movie from back in, what was it, 96? But uh, he is one of these meter readers and he's driving around on this motorcycle going from house to house and he's been away from home for a long time Uh, we also find his family and get to meet them it's uh, his wife uh, an older daughter and a younger son they're waiting for him to come home and they can only tell if you're immune if you're checked every 72 hours and if he is not home by a certain time then they're not supposed to let him in because he hasn't been checked again to see if he's still immune or not. He comes home. It's past the time when he should have uh, been there and they haven't checked him to see if he's contaminated. The daughter who he's kind of trained to be a meter reader, she won't let him in and makes the mom and the son have him go down into the basement uh, through an outdoor entrance and and stay there until they can get him tested. Well, it turns out that the wife and the son both uh, sneak out and try to get down there. The daughter goes down and it turns out the mom and the son have been contaminated by demons. And uh, there's a big showdown and it all ends with this daughter, the father, the mother, the son are all dead and she's the only one left. And she picks up the mantle and becomes a meter reader and rides off into the sunset, proverbially speaking, to become a meter reader and pick up her father's legacy, pick off his work where she left off. It was very, uh, very dark. It was very, very much uh, a cross between The Exorcist meets Mad Max meets what's going on today with COVID-19 uh it it was just a a really interesting story a story I'd like to see more of you know this would be a cool story for some sort of feature-length film I think and uh to flesh these characters out a little more to flesh the story out a little more I mean I, I didn't mind it I thought it was really good for this application in the short story anthology format it would be something cool. I don't know if this is based on any graphic novels. If not, this would make a perfect graphic novel. It was just a, a really good story, an interesting story, interesting characters, and the scenario that there's this, this sort of contagion that allows people to be possessed by demons was just something very interesting. And and, and there's a lot of metaphor there for the, the COVID-19 pandemic and, and all the things that have gone on with that, with you know all the distrust uh, of government and the distrust of each other going on. Uh, there's a lot of metaphor there for that. And you can read into that what you will. But I really enjoyed uh, the meter reader story in episode four. Episode five had uh, a couple of, of good stories Time Out was the first story in that episode where this young kid, uh, Tim Denbro, which I, I almost wonder if that was a nod to Stephen King's uh, Bill Denbro from It, but uh, played by Matthew Barnes, he uh, is introduced to this like wardrobe that his grandfather would go into. Uh, took a special key to go inside there and. Uh, his grandmother said, no, you're too young. Well, we catch up with Tim later. He's in law school, wants to be a lawyer. And he gets this this strange armoire that his grandfather got while he was serving in World War II over in Germany. His grandmother passed away and she bequeathed this armoire to him. And, and it turns out you unlock the armoire. You have to take the key with you because you have to unlock yourself to get out of it. But once you're in there... Time stands still. You could go in there, spend a whole day, and step out, and no time has passed at all. So he uses this to help him get through grad school, get into a law firm, make his way up the ranks of this law firm. He's married. He's got a kid. But it takes a toll on him physically. He's a lot older than he should be. He realizes that he's spent so much time in this armoire working he spent so much time working in general to provide for his family that he hasn't taken the time to just be there for his family and enjoy the time he has left with them. so he swears off this uh, armoire uh, there's this scene at the end where he's doing it one more time just to to get that one last promotion or, or whatever he has this key and this sweater that he wears, this cardigan that he wears while he's in there because it's apparently cold in there. But it's funny because he opens up the box and we see like CGI moths flying out and you're like, oh no, any kid who's watched an old Warner Brothers cartoon, uh, Bugs Bunny, Daffy Duck, knows that when you see moths, they like to chew on sweaters and there's going to be a hole in that that cardigan and sure enough he unlocks the door puts the key in the pocket he's locked inside and finds out that the key fell through a hole in the pocket of this cardigan his son is out there and his son opens the door we see the tim start to age and the kid opens the door and he just turns to dust and disappears and then the kid goes inside the armoire and i can't remember if he left the key outside in the lock but he didn't take the key in with him. So you know the same fate is going to happen to him by the time the mom figures out what's going on. It's just a, a very tragic ending. This is the kind of ending that we expect from a creep show episode. And it was very well written. The actors weren't big-name actors, but they were good. I, I enjoyed the acting in this. That, and that makes all the difference in a lot of these stories. You know, a lot of the stories aren't the best written some of the screenwriters are better than others at telling these stories. You know, some of the special effects aren't what they would be on a bigger budget. But when you have good acting, that really makes all the difference in a lot of these stories and bringing these stories to life. And, and this one had pretty good acting. I, I enjoyed the acting in this. The next story in episode five was interesting because it was an animated story. Which, they've done animated specials uh, for Creepshow, an addendum to the, the actual seasons. But this was a uh, one of the only animated stories within a season proper. And it was so good. It's called Things in Oakwood's Past. And you really had a lot of uh, good actors. Ron Livingston played the voice of Mark Kamen, one of the leads. Danielle Harris, of course, uh, played... Jamie Lloyd in the uh, Halloween 4 and 5. Of course, she was in uh, the Rob Zombie Halloweens as well. She played Marnie Wrightson. And Marnie Wrightson is this kind of historian. They find this time capsule, or what they think is a time capsule, from back in the 1800s when the town's population had kind of disappeared. And they find this time capsule, and she's trying to figure it out. Uh, what this is all about, why why the town disappeared, why they put this time capsule in there, and why 200 years ago uh, something happened to, to make this town disappear. You have her father, who's the mayor. Mayor Wrightson, who's voiced by Mark Hale, uh, which was kind of cool to, to see him show up because he does such a, a great job with voice work anymore in this stage of his career and it's it's really a simple story it's a story that you know we kind of go into the weather twos and the y-fours of this this box this time capsule but it turns out it's not a time capsule at all and at one point they think that there's something in there to protect everyone that's going to have you know something's going to happen It's been two years, 200 years since this population of this town has disappeared. They're afraid that's going to happen again and that there's something in there that's going to save them. And it turns out, no, what was in there is what made the town disappear. And they open up this box and these demons all come pouring out and just tear through everyone and, and nobody, nobody makes it out alive. It's, it's. For being animated, it's quite terrifying, t- quite gruesome, and just a fantastic story. And then once the town is, is ravaged, and once everyone has gone in the town, then all the demons go back of the box, and the date on it flips to 2221, so 200 years from now. So every 200 years, this, this box opens up, or gets opened up, and, and these demons come out and kill everyone in this in this town now marnie does make it out of this because she as she's racing to get out of town she does end up crossing the town line and all these demons are, are right there at the town line so they cannot leave this town so uh they, it's a lot of wonderful story here uh, a lot of again a lot of meat on the bone to to flesh this out even more Uh, This sounds like it could be, you know, what happens if they could get past this town line or I don't know. There's a a lot of story that is left to tell that I think would be very interesting to see this done as like uh, a feature film or... Maybe not even a feature film, but in some bigger capacity where you could explore this world a lot more. But the, uh, the episode was directed by Greg Nicotero, written by Greg Nicotero and Daniel Krause. Uh, and probably one of my favorite episodes of this season. As we come up to episode six, the season finale of Creepshow. And two really interesting stories. The first story in this episode, Drug Traffic. Directed by Greg Nicotero. It's a story by uh, Maddie Doe and Christopher Larson. Teleplay by Christopher Larson. And we see this congressman. He's talking about the U.S.-Canadian border and how so many U.S. citizens lack proper health care and have to go to Canada to get uh, the medicine that they can't afford in the United States. Michael Rooker plays uh, Bo, the border guard. That's been assigned to this by his superiors because he's he has some communist views and there's a a woman and her daughter that are trying to cross the border. Uh, the daughter's sick, and the woman keeps feeding her these pills. The girl pukes them up. The Michael Rooker is you know trying to look good as far as doing his job, and he takes the mother in for questioning. And long story short, the daughter my transforms into a uh I, I'm probably butchering that. But pretty much her her head detaches from her body and floats around and and kills people. And she goes on a bloody rampage. And it is bloody and it is gory. And Bo played by Michael Rooker and this congressman, uh Evan Miller played by Scott Reed, kinda have to team up and put their political ideologies aside to stop by They end up killing her, but Mai's mother uh, is heartbroken, decapitates herself with a shard of glass from a broken window, Uh, a fetal logistics that goes beyond (laughs) what what could really happen. But hey, you know what? I am all about suspension of disbelief. She decapitates herself, and then Mai's head, uh, whatever creature is coming out of her, slithers into her mother's body, and she is you know she's back in action and they uh they traveled here this congressman miller and these people that are getting drugs uh, across the border in canada in this big bus and who is waiting at the bus to let my in and take her to wherever she may want to go next none other than the creep it was it was a, a gruesome and odd story it was so odd i i'm sitting here watching i'm like what the what the hell am i witnessing here but it was it was fun in all the most gruesome ways and gory ways and that little touch at the end with the with the creep showing up just kind of was the proper capper on a, a very odd story but a story that you know left you wondering uh what you just saw and again was pretty good but not to be outdone by, well, no, it is outdone by the final story in the series, or actually the season finale of Creepshow Season 3. This one directed by uh, John Harrison, written by Heather Ann Campbell. And this is such an awesome story. It's called A Dead Girl Named Sue. This is essentially taking place, and you catch this because you are seeing It's all done in black and white, and you're seeing TV news reports about uh, the events of Night of the Living Dead. It's the same news reports that they used for the Night of the Living Dead. So this is kind of going on in that same night that uh, Night of the Living Dead happened. And Police Chief Foster, played by uh, Christian Gonzalez, he's trying to keep this vigilante group from from killing this guy, Clive and Ridgeway, played by Josh McHale. And this guy is a sociopathic criminal. He's a murderer, a rapist, but he always seems to get away because his father is the mayor. And Chief Foster finally confronts him and realizes he did commit these crimes. And he did kill, most recently, this little girl. The father of this girl was, was the head of the vigilante group trying to look for him. So Chief Foster locks him in a cell and he tells the, the guys to go essentially go get this little girl. And all the people that Cliven has hurt uh, are there to bear witness as they put this little zombie girl in the cell with him and then and she eats him. It's a, it's a very simple story uh, told very well. The fact that they made this a part of the night that night of the living dead takes place in and using the the black and white imagery that is such a hallmark of night of the living dead using the TV footage, the newsreel footage that they used for Night of the Living Dead where, you know, at the end of the episode, you get to that point at the end of the movie where uh, the reporter's asking how to kill zombies and talking about shooting them in the head. And it was just a, a piece of brilliance. One, it was a really good story. It was a really creepy and eerie story. The fact that they never really talked about zombies you heard some allusions to it you saw some silhouetted shadows of people walking by kind of moving and sounding like zombies but zombies were never talked about until you started seeing these news reports on the tv's progress towards the end of night of the living dead and and it's just there was a, a creepiness a horror that when that little girl comes out of this bag that they put her in the cell with this cliven Uh, ridgway character um and in his screams it's just there was some some top-notch horror going on in this story in this episode that i just absolutely enjoyed and and the fact that they tied it in with night of the living dead and you know the george romero ties to to creep show and what greg nicotero was trying to do as an homage to that just it was a a masterful story masterfully told and was certainly deserving of being the season finale for season three of Creepshow. It's a shame we got to wait another year for another another season of Creepshow, but you know that's the way life goes. Uh, when you only got six episodes. I You know, they they come out weekly, so it's not like I binged them all in one night, but uh, six weeks of Creepshow just doesn't seem enough. I I wish they would do longer seasons, but even still, uh, it's still a hell of a wait until we get to to see more of these fantastic anthology stories uh, with Creepshow coming up next year. So I, I really enjoyed this season. Probably not my favorite season in total, but... It had some of my favorite episodes. I I thought the first one, Mums, was really good. Skeletons in the Closet was fun. OK, I'll Bite was fun. Meter Reader was fantastic. And Things in Oakwood's Past and Time Out were really good. That was probably the best episode where I really just enjoyed both stories so much. Uh, episode five. And then of course, uh, drug traffic was interesting and bizarre, but it wasn't my favorite episode. Uh, but A Dead Girl Named Sue was probably my one of my favorite episodes of this complete series. So a lot of really good stuff, a lot of camp, a lot of fun horror, but then you did have every once in a while, tastes of of true terror, things like the Things in Oakwood's Past and, and A Dead Girl Named Sue. Some really scary stuff. Even even though The Things in Oakwood's Past was an animated uh, story, it was still frightening. Uh, the ending of Time Out was, was frightening and horrifying. While not my favorite season, uh, it did have some of my favorite stories being told in this season. And I believe this was the first one that didn't feature a story by Stephen King. Now I take that back. Uh, season two did not have a Stephen King story in it. Didn't have a Stephen King story or a Joe Hill story in it. So it was nice to see one of those guys coming back uh, doing the story Mums, I'm hoping uh, maybe we'll get some more Stephen King stuff in season four. So if you don't have Shudder, check it out. Uh, I, I really encourage you to get it. I, I got it just for Creepshow and then found so much more that I've really enjoyed in it. But Creepshow, is always is one of those wickedly fantastic, fun uh, bits of horror that n- gives nod to the B horror movies of the past, but also gives a wink to the future of horror with some of the stories they tell that are just truly frightening and make for good horror television. Some some grim stuff, some dark stuff that uh, that I just uh, really enjoy. Uh, Really enjoy this series, and like I said, looking forward to Season 4, whenever that may be released. Probably sometime next September. Uh, There's been no word as if they're doing a Season 4, but I'm assuming they will. And speaking of horror anthology, of course, uh, on Shudder, Shudder has the new horror anthology, Horror Noir, which just started. It just dropped here within the last week or so. So I'm excited to, to do my review on that once that comes about and a lot of a lot of cool stuff behind the monsters is really cool i don't know if we'll do a review but uh, I'll be giving my thoughts on that on our Facebook fan page, which you can check out. Facebook fan page, Odds Bodkin's Curiosity Shop. We're always uh, posting uh, trailers from different shows and movies, horror, fantasy, sci-fi, interesting articles from from the same genres, horror, fantasy, and sci-fi. And we're always posting what's coming up with our latest uh, podcast. So uh, check that out, Odds Bodkin's Curiosity Shop on Facebook. I want to thank you for listening. Hope you really enjoyed hearing my thoughts. On the uh, latest season of Creep Show. And if you like it, please share the uh, podcast uh, with anybody you know that loves horror fantasy and sci fi. Uh, please leave a review. Uh, five stars would be awesome. But uh, any review you leave, we'll, uh, we'll appreciate it. And again, thank you for listening. And until next time, thank you for visiting Odds Bodkins Curiosity Shop.